Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown, the lost treasure of the Knights Templar, written by Ilza, read by me. Uh, let's just jump in, shall we? Knights Templar, I have to say, this is something that, despite making loads of videos on the internet, I'm not, not really remembering what the Knights Templar is. I think it's dudes who wear, like, big white cloaks, and then they have, like, a red cross or something like that. Were they part of the Crusades? I don't really know. They probably had some lost treasure, I guess. Let's go. Born from the chaos of blood and dust that was the battle for the Holy Land, the enigmatic Order of the Knights Templar has been at the center of conspiracies almost since the day of the Order's violent end. From medieval tales to the Da Vinci Code, the secrets of the Knights Templar have been entertaining us for centuries. Yeah, I, I, I read the Da Vinci Code, saw the movie as well with Tom Hanks. Enjoyed both of them, to be honest, and still don't remember what the Knights Templar are. Many secret societies have claimed to be a continuation of the Templar Order, the Freemasons among them. With each generation, with each new secret society, the mysteries surrounding the Knights Templar become more elaborate. Were they pious and humble monks protecting the faithful, or were they arrogant and greedy thugs hiding behind the Pope? Were they the guardians of the Holy Grail? Did they hoard piles of treasure in secret vaults? Or was there ever any treasure at all? To pick through the tangle that is the myth and truth of the Order of the Knights Templar will keep us busy for days. Oh, what? How long is this script isn't that long? I'm gonna be here for maybe an hour or two. Not bloody days, Ilza. And since Simon needs to go into his kids at some point, uh, we'll only be attempting to unravel one small part of the tapestry of secrets. What happens to the treasure of the Templars? Well, my wife and children, thank you. <laughs> they like it when I go home. Or at least my daughter's in this phase, right? Sorry, this is an unrelated tangent, but I want to tell it anyway because it's sweet and I like it. Um, whenever I get home from work these days, my daughter's always like, no, no. I don't want to talk to you, Dad. I don't like you, Dad. And it's, she's punishing me for being away. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's so mean. Like, she says goodbye to me in the morning. I go off to work and then I come back. And she's like, I didn't like that you went to work. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. But we have to have money for things. Meet the Knights Templar. In the days after the First Crusade, visiting the Holy Land was at the top of every devout pilgrim's bucket list. This was great for the tourism industry, and bandits on the road from the port of Jafar to the city of Jerusalem made a killing, literally and figuratively. The pilgrims needed protection, and around 1118 or 1119, nine nights under the leaderships of French nobleman Hugh de Payens stepped up and took it upon themselves to do just that. I, uh, a few, Jesus, I was going to say a few months ago, but it was literally a year ago now. I went to Israel. A mate of mine had been uh, working out there for a year, or more, his wife had been working out there, and he went along with her. And we went on a trip together, like a little bit of a road trip around Israel, see the sights. One of the most notable thing was, I, I don't know if you call them pilgrims or whatever, but there were big buses of Americans, like really old. Like we'd stay in a hotel, me and my mate were in my th our 30s. We'd stay in a hotel. We would be the youngest people in that hotel by maybe 30 years. And I'm not sure what's going on, but it just seems like the pilgrims or, I guess they're Jewish, but they could also be, Christian right because there's all sorts of Christian stuff to see in Israel I'm not really sure and we would stay in these hotels like on our trip around Israel <laughs> it's like everyone that the only people who were younger than us were the carers who the old people had brought with them to take care of them because otherwise they get lost 
There was like one man, he seemed to get lost in a lift. And his carer's like, where is he? It was a bizarre experience. They were all like, his, everyone was so old. I've never seen so many old people in my life. Not that I don't love old people, and I'm aware that I'm going to become old and weird and, you know, just get lost in the lift myself at some point. Like, my grand, it happened to my grandparents, it's going to happen to me. I mean, hopefully, if I don't die before then from, like, disease or accident or one of those things. Which maybe is better. Getting old is rough. Sorry, so many tangents. So many tangents. Let's carry on. I don't know how these personal tangents come off from a story about the treasure of the Crusady Knights Templar or whatever. They approached King Baldwin II of Jerusalem with their proposal, and the king, eager to get more Christians in the city, gave the fledgling order the Al-Aqua-Aqsa Mosque on the southeastern side of the Temple Mount, the location of the Temple of Solomon in the Old Testament, to set up their base of operations. Places that I've now been! <laughs> Thus, the poor fellow soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon was founded. The Knights Templar was a monastic order taking vows of obedience, chastity, and poverty. Initially, the idea... Did I finish my story about all the old people? Am I, I assume they're just, like, old, and they wanted to make the pilgrimage to the Holy Land or whatever before they died. And they were like, oh, it's a bit last minute, so there are tour companies out there doing, like, last minute to go and see the Holy Lands before you die. It's so morbid. Sorry. However, in 1129, the order was officially sanctioned by the Catholic Church, and the order's mission was presented as a just war, defending the Church and the innocent from those wishing to do them harm. The Templars, as we know them today, were respected warriors who could turn the tide of a battle. Unlike many peasants who ended up volunteering for the Crusades with nothing more than a blunt pitchfork, religious fervor, and threats of violence should they refuse, the knights were well-trained and well-armed mounted cavalry. They never retreated. They would fight until the battle was won or the last Templar fell to the sword. Wow. If I, I would not do that, for one. And if I was a peasant, I'd be, I'd be like, how much is this violence at home? Because I'm definitely going to get killed if I'm going off to some foreign land. Like, thousands of miles of journeying with a pitchfork. I'm just going to get killed for something that's not even real. Do you think back in the day, he'd be like, no, 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 I'm a conscientious objector on the grounds of, I don't believe in any of this nonsense. <laughs> The Templars arriving on the battlefield was sometimes enough of an incentive for the opposing side to surrender or retreat. The order quickly grew in wealth and power. Noblemen and kings donated money and land to get a head start on getting into heaven. Ah yes, buying your way into heaven. That sounds real. Although honestly, probably about as real as heaven. Members swore an oath of poverty, renouncing all worldly possessions, which conveniently became the world worldly possessions of the Templar Order. <laughs> I realize when I say this, like, yes, about as real as heaven. And I'm like, when people message me, like, you get Twitter's like, you know, people can at you or whatever, and you see it. And sometimes people will <laughs> at me. I'd be like, Simon, you come up as a right smarmy prick sometime. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I have moments like this, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I see why you're saying that. Because I am a smarmy prick. It all makes sense now. Members swore an oath of poverty, renouncing all worldly possessions, which conveniently became the worldly possessions of the Templar Order. Oh my, that sounds like those, uh, And Jesus comes down and he shall heal you, and all you must do is tithe me 10% of all of your income. That's what will get you into heaven. Into the righteous, shining light of the Lord. I am really, I really think that I could be, like, I'd dye my beard white. Not to look like Jesus, just to look like an old man. 
get on one of those like channel 762 tell people like about jesus <laughs> and how they're getting to heaven if they give each episode their money it's such a fucking con jesus if you're doing that right now if you're giving and lots of people watch this channel so maybe this is you peter maybe you're giving 10 percent of your money to some like guy on the television who's then spending it on a jet filled because he can't ride commercial with the demons or like any of these other people who are doing that stop it just stop giving the money it's not going to make you get into heaven or not and even if you believe in heaven, it's not going to make a difference. I promise you that's not what Jesus wanted. It's a big scam, allegedly, in my opinion. The order was also exempt from taxes and laws. <laughs> it just sounds it's the preacher dudes. The only authority, I mean, they're not exempt from laws, but they don't have to pay taxes, right? Which is insane. The only authority they answered to was the Pope. The Holy Brethren invented a form of banking, which no doubt played a part in of this image of vaults filled with riches, leaving valuables in holy places in times of trouble wasn't an uncommon medieval practice due to the sanctity of hallowed ground, and the Templar holy places were built by engineers and protected by soldiers armed with actual swords instead of the word of God. Pilgrims would leave their money with the closest Templar HQ and receive a note of credit that they could exchange for money at other Templar posts along the way to the Holy Land. In 1291, the Templar stronghold at Acre, the last in the Holy Land, fell. This was the beginning of the end. Many people blamed the Templars for the loss of the Holy Land, and the Order's reason for existing was gone. All that remained was an incredibly wealthy and powerful multinational knightly order with more power than most kings. This was a problem for the King of France. King Philip IV, also known as Philip the Fair, named for his looks rather than his temperament, was having a financial crisis. Like many monarchs, his debts to the Templars were sizable. The king needed a cash injection stat. His attempt to tax the church failed, no surprise there, so his attention turned to the Templars. He concocted a number of charges against the knights, accusing them of heresy, corruption, sodomy, and whatever else he could come up with. Brothers were tortured until they confessed. Finally, on Friday, October the 30th, 19, uh, 19, 1307, the Templars across France were arrested. The order wasn't as rigorously persecuted outside of France, and some countries like Portugal, Spain, and Germany became a safe haven for Templars. Pope Clement, considered a weak-willed pope in the pocket of the King of France, disbanded the order in 1312. Wow, these guys fell from grace. They were like defending Christian shit, like they had the swords, they looked after everyone's shit. And then the King of France was like, no, 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 I said no. <laughs> The official story. Well, that's the official story anyway. According to legend, the real mission of the Templars was to find and protect the treasures hidden underneath the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. Archaeological excavations have uncovered tunnels. However, it seems that we're not entirely clear on who built them. Templar tunnels were found under some of their other strongholds like in Acre, so it's entirely possible that they were building tunnels under the Temple Mount as well. Were the tunnels an escape route, or were they looking for something? More importantly, did they find anything? Many believe they did and consider this treasure the reason for the Order's meteoric rise in wealth and power. Wait, didn't we already say that their meteoric rise in wealth and power was because all of their members, when they joined, had to give up all of their money, and then they started taking money from other places and all of that? I thought we established how they became rich. It's not like from some magical potion that they found underground. What is the Templar treasure? When the Templar Order was disbanded, their lands and wealth were seized, and in theory bestowed upon the Hospitallers, another monastic order. In practice, much of the land reverted to the families that donated it, and the money probably made its way into the king's coffers. However, there's a firm belief that not all treasure was seized. Some of it was hidden before the Temple Order met its doom. So, 
what exactly did the Templars hide? One theory suggests that the Templar treasure is a collection of sacred relics that was either excavated at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem or collected in the 200 years that the Order was active. Their reach and influence covered all of Europe and the Near East, so they certainly at the time, the manpower and the wealth necessary to procure the most expensive and hard-to-come-by relics at the time. The Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Grail, the Spear of Destiny are some of the relics that often come up in Templar-related conversation. Wait, none of those things are actually real, though, are they? Is the Spear of Destiny the thing that stabbed Jesus in the side when he was on the cross? I'm kind of taking a stab in the dark at guessing that one. I mean, that could be real, right? But the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant, aren't they the things that make you immortal and shit? Or, like, turn lead to gold? No, that's the Philosopher's Stone, isn't it? From the Harry Potter book. <laughs> Oh my god, it's all fiction though, isn't it? It's also theorized that the treasure contains scrolls and documents like the lost teachings of Jesus, ancient scrolls from the Library of Alexandria, records from a time before the Great Flood recorded on the pillars of the First Temple, and the Copper Scroll, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Though some of the more macabre relics include the head of St. John the Baptist and even the mummified head of Christ. Which is all well and good, right? So you'd be like, you're digging under Temple Mount, and you're like, oh my god, I found the head of Jesus! This is the most amazing discovery ever! And I'd be like, is there any gold or shit like that? <laughs> I want some rubies and some diamonds. I don't care about Jesus' head. Although you could probably sell Jesus' head for a lot of money. I'd definitely sell Jesus' head. <laughs> They'd be like, Simon, don't you want to donate that to like to like religion or to the Pope or some shit? And I'll be like, no, I want to donate it for a lot of money. Thank you. I reckon I'm gonna get least the head of Jesus is probably worth at least a hundred mil to someone. Someone will pay a hundred million for the head of Jesus. Didn't someone like buy a copy of the American Constitution for like 24 million? You can get a billion dollars for the head of Christ. The actual proven head of Jesus? Oh my god, how do we get on these topics of conversation? Like, earlier on we were talking about how my daughter doesn't like it when I come back from work at all. And now we're talking about how much we could sell the head of Jesus for. I sometimes wonder what I'm doing with these channels. I guess I'm just making videos. Let's crack on, shall we? According to some conspiracy theories, the treasure of the Templars wasn't physical, but rather knowledge. Oh god, that's also boring. Unless you're going to tell me the knowledge of making lead to gold. Where's the gold? Perhaps even heretical knowledge that could turn the church upside down, like the theory that Jesus married. Oh no! Or the idea that Christ was never re resurrected from the grave. Oh my god, shocking! Perhaps some of the scrolls uncovered under the Temple Mount contained secrets from ancient Egypt dating back to the time of Moses. Other theories suggest that the Templars discovered the secrets of geometry, proportion, balance, and harmony, and they were used by the ancient builders of the pyramids, and armed with this knowledge built churches across their domain. Many were based on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. More practical knowledge includes maps of the New World and sailing techniques that have made crossing the Atlantic possible. Atlit, a Templar stronghold in Israel during the Crusades, is close to one of the oldest stone circles in the world. Did the Templars acquire Bronze Age knowledge, allowing them to measure the heavens with megalithic structures, or did they use that knowledge to navigate? Of course, to some, the Templar treasure is less esoteric and more physical. Yes, gold and silver bullion, crown jewels, possibly the jewels of Marie Antoinette herself, precious metals and stones, and the idol of Baphomet which the Templars were accused of worshipping. I've no idea what that is. However, most people believe that the treasure is a combination of all of the above. And this brings us to the most important question of all. Where is the treasure? Yeah, that'd be a pretty good combination. I mean, you've got the Jesus head. That could be sold for like a billion. The sailing technology is going to be well out of date, but that gold is going to be worth a lot. So that's like two out of three is not bad. And then you've got those sailing techniques. They'll be like, look at these amazing sailing techniques. They're like, yeah, dude, we know. <laughs> this is wildly out of date. <laughs> 
Based on a combination of minimal fact and a healthy dose of speculation, we do have a sort of timeline for the treasure's movements. In 1291, during the Battle for Acre, a great many Templars died. That much is fact. However, according to rumor, the night before the final battle, the Templar commander Tybald Gaudin, in the company of some other non-combatants, smuggled the Templar treasures from the fortress at Acre onto ships and set sail for Cyprus. However, when the Templars were forced to retreat back to Europe, the treasure was moved to Paris. According to other theories, the treasure went straight to Paris from Jerusalem without any detours. But regardless of how it got there, the final destination was Paris. And this brings us to the horror show that is October 1307. According to one version of events, when the King of France finally got into the Templar treasury in Paris to get his grubby royal paws on the Templar wells, the treasury of the Templars was empty. I can imagine he must have been a little put out. Historical records show that the French royal treasury did get a bit of a windfall at this time, so there must have been something left, but the bulk of the treasure was gone. That's pretty awesome that they did actually have treasure in there, which isn't surprising because they took everyone's money. They were like, you join the Templars, the cost of admission is everything. You have to have a vow of poverty. That seems pretty expensive, to be honest. During the Templar trials, one Jean de Chalon, a brother of the order, testified that Gérard de Villiers, preceptor and regional commander of the French Templars had been tipped off about the royal shitstorm that was about to descend on the Temple Order and led over 50 horses outside of, out of Paris loaded with gold, silver, and religious relics. In some versions of this tale, the treasure was hidden in hay carts and 2,000 knights waited on the outskirts of Paris to protect those fleeing the city. From there, the treasure was loaded onto 18 galleys and set out to sea from the port of La Rochelle. Jean de Chalon claimed he actually met de Villiers on his way out of the city, leading 50 horses carrying cargo but he only heard the story of the fleet from someone else. The original story also doesn't mention the port of La Rochelle. The Templars had a presence at La Rochelle, but others theorize that the ships actually escaped France via the Seine. As for where the ships were headed, no one knows, although Scotland is a strong possibility. Once there, the Templars received aid and were provided refuge by some prominent Scottish families, among them the Sinclairs, a name that we'll hear again. There's also some speculation that the Templar Knights assisted Robert the Bruce in his fight with the English at the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314, turning the tide of battle and giving victory to the Scottish, but there doesn't seem to be much to back up this theory. Since all of this happened 700 years ago, how much of the story is true is up for debate. However, we do know that Gerard de Villiers disappeared. Considering his position, he would have been quite high on the list of Templars meeting their maker via burning at the pyre. If he was executed, his name would have been recorded. However, the mass arrests probably caused major upheaval in the city, so it's possible de Villiers was killed in the chaos or that he was warned and he, along with the other knights who had the opportunity, fled Paris and went into hiding. If his name wasn't recorded and everyone else's name was recorded, it sounds like he wasn't executed, doesn't it? In the 18th and 19th centuries, tales of pirates and treasure became popular, and the story of the missing Templar fleet somehow became a story of Templars betrayed by the church, setting out to sea with their fleet and becoming pirates. This theory is a bit of a stretch, but not completely impossible. Most Templars were absolved by the church, but many died horribly, so the idea of a small band of Templars taking a ship and choosing the pirate life seems somewhat plausible to me. Why did they have to become pirates? They must have loads of money. Or did they have all their money taken by that point? If we're talking about the treasure be going missing, just take the treasure on your big boat, go off and buy some island somewhere, and have a chill time. You don't need to be pirates, you're already rich. Considering the Templar wealth and power, the treasure could be anywhere. My personal favorite is Switzerland. The tradition of secretive banking practices had to start somewhere, right? Others are of the opinion that the treasure never left the Holy Land and is hidden in tunnels beneath the last Templar stronghold in Acre. However, we don't want to be here until next week, so we'll only look at the most 
popular theories. Roslyn Chapel Situated in the village of Roslyn, Scotland, Roslyn Chapel has long been associated with the Knights Templar, the Holy Grail, and the Freemasons. Of course, most people today are familiar with the Roslyn Chapel thanks to the Da Vinci Code, published in 2003. Yeah, but it was 10 years ago! <laughs> How would I? I mean, I if I read the Da Vinci Code today, I'd have ve very few memories of reading it. I think I read it. I read it, like, maybe not in 2003, but, like, maybe five years after that, I'd say. So, I'm, I don't really have any memory of it, and definitely don't have any memory of this Roslyn Chapel. Also, how hard is it to search a chapel? Chapels are small. Just go in there, I don't know, use a metal detector or that sonar shit or whatever archaeologists use, and just go see if it's there. Look, look for that Jesus head or whatever. The link between the Sinclair family and the Templars goes back to the Holy Land, when one of the early Sinclairs joined the Crusades. At the time, anyone who could swing a sword went out on the Crusades, so this seems like a tenuous connection at best. On top of that, there's evidence that the Sinclair family testified against the Templars, not exactly what you'd expect from a family sympathetic to the Templars' plight. However, the first Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Scotland, how very grand, that's the Freemasons, not the Templars, was William Sinclair of Roslyn in 1736. This might be where theories of a connection between the Sinclair family and the Templars originated. Construction of Roslyn Chapel started in 1446 under Sir William Sinclair, the third and last Prince of Orkney, and took, uh, uh, and took 40 years to complete. How big is this chapel? It took 40 years? Uh, chapels are small. Aren't chapels like, you know, church is to... Uh, cathedral is to church what church is to chapel? No? We had a chapel at school and it wasn't that big. You could look around that shit and find some gold if you really wanted to. However, this already creates a problem. The Templars fled France in 1307 and the order disbanded in 1312, which is more than a hundred years before construction on the chapel began. The detailed carvings made this chapel unique. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of them covering the interior from top to bottom, and this is where we'll find clues to the Templars' connection and the location of the treasure. Firstly, we have a horse with two riders. This was the seal of the Templars, symbolizing their vow of poverty. To me, it's fairly obvious that it's one man on a horse with someone standing next to the horse. Now, I'm no historian, but I think that would be a knight and his squire. God, no, I have no idea. I don't know. Okay, squire. Then there's the carving of the priest holding a consecration cup. This proves that the grail is, or at least was at some stage, hidden in the chapel because a carving of a priest holding a cup is completely out of character for a church. That's sarcasm, by the way. Yeah, like, there's the, the thing with the bread, the Eucharist. Oh my god, yeah, I went to religious school, I had this Eucharist, which I never did, because I'm not, like, confirmed, or I'm not christened or anything like that, I'm just, just non-religious. And there was this Eucharist thing, and it was, like, the best thing was, like, we'd have this long Eucharist service, and if you, were, if you weren't taking the Eucharist, you could just fuck off halfway through. You could just leave the chapel and not have to sit through this whole boring Eucharist thing, and I was like, yes, let's go! And then we'd just go back to the day room and play pool. It was like, even people who even people who were like religious and confirmed and all of that stuff, who were supposed to take the Eucharist, they were like, yeah, I mean, I could take Eucharist, or we could go play some pool in the day room. Green man carving is another favorite. There are at least 103 images of the green man inside the chapel alone. The okay, so this is a big chapel. This isn't some small school chapel. The figure is usually just a head with foliage growing from the mouth, most likely representing fertility. In a Christian context, it also symbolizes death and resurrection. It's often associated with Celtic mythology, but the motif pops up everywhere from ancient Eastern temples to Roman buildings and eventually Templar churches, which for some reason makes it Templar. It's more likely that Sir William decided to acknowledge the Celtic traditions that came before when he chose that location for the family's chapel. The apprentice pillar is also very important, possibly the hiding place for the Grail itself. 
These are just carvings and windows and shit in a chapel. It doesn't mean dick. Why would people read way too much into this shit? It's the third of three pillars, probably representing the concepts of wisdom, strength, and beauty. According to Grail lore, there's a grail hidden inside the pillar. Some claim it might be a silver platter. Scans have been done on the pillar, but no metal has been detected. Of course, this only means that the grail was not made of metal. Rather, it's the mummified head of Christ, or a simple wooden chalice. If it's not in the pillar, though, the treasure must be in the crypt, the oldest part of the chapel. However, so far, the only thing buried beneath the church appears to be the Sinclairs of generations past. Yeah, they've got the technology to like, look inside and see if there's metal in there. And there's not. There's nothing in there. There's nothing. Jesus' head isn't in there. Because if it was, someone would have cracked that shit open and sold it for a billy. Finally, we have the corn and trillium flower carvings. These plants weren't known in Scotland at the time, but they were rather abundant in the Americas. Apparently, these carvings were included to commemorate a journey to the New World undertaken by Henry Sinclair and a couple of Templars. But we'll get to that madness in a bit. This is all madness. Pointless, speculative madness. To wrap this up, there's no documented connection between the Order of the Knights Templar and Rosalind Chapel. The closest we can come to it is the Templar headquarters in the nearby village of Temple, originally known as Balantraroch, which, in my humble opinion, is a far more likely location for the Templar treasure if it ever existed. Did we only explore this because some crackpots think that this is actually related in some way, and Dan Brown wrote a novel called The Da Vinci Code? <laughs> Really? Somewhere in North America. While some believe the Templar treasure is still hidden inside Rosalind Chapel, a more recent theory states that the Templars consider their treasure too valuable and far too important to risk it falling into the wrong hands. The only solution was to hide this amazing treasure as far away as possible from anyone interested in such things. And this brings us back to the Sinclair family. Oh, for fuck's sake, can't we just leave the bloody Sinclairs out of this? According to this version of events, the Sinclair family became the Grand Masters of the Temple Order. Sir William Sinclair, one of many Williams, is considered to have possibly been the last Temple Grand Master before his death in 1330. One of his descendants, Sir Henry Sinclair, Earl of Orkney, along with a group of refugee knights Templar, left Scotland to bring the treasure across the big blue ocean with the help of the Italian navigators, the Zeno brothers. Is there any evidence for this whatsoever, or is this just more nonsense stories? Henry Sinclair returned to England at some point, which explains the detailed carvings of corn in Roslyn Chapel. It's really not that detailed, but if you want to see corn, that is what you'll see. The New World is a big place, so where to start digging for treasure? One possible location is everyone's old favorite, Oak Island. Oh, for fuck's sake, can't we leave this shit alone as well? There's nothing there is bullshit that the History Channel have somehow managed to spin like 27 seasons of television out of. Somehow. History Channel, I don't know how you do it. Some people might look at my channel as being Simon, you've covered this before. And they'd be like, I know, but I have to spin content for views. I'm learning from the best. <laughs> I'm learning from the History Channel. We already have a great video on this. So I'm going to skip the details, thank God. According to Templar researcher Gerard Leduc, the Temp Templar treasure is marked on an Oak Island map from the 1500s by Italian explorer Giovanni de Veranzano. The inscription on the map reads Carvo de Bretoni Clamere, which roughly translates to the well of Britons in the year 1150. In Leduc's opinion, the reference to the Britons is actually a reference to the Templars since they owned property in Brittany. All right, mate talk about a stretch much. In the 1960s, Fred Nolan discovered Nolan's cross. He came across a group of boulders in the shape of a Christian cross spanning around 300 feet. The cross was overgrown with vegetation, but in the center of the cross was a stone shaped very vaguely like a human head. There are a few theories that explain how this cross points towards treasure, including a reference to the Palace of Versailles, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, so we're moving on. Excellent choice. More 
just people believe the craziest shit. So far, there's just nothing here. I mean, obviously the Templars had a lot of treasure, but in terms of people tracing it and tracking it and what it is, we've genuinely got no idea. It's probably just loads of gold that has probably also been raided and taken and distributed and is now just in the regular market. Is it possible that the Templars reached North America a hundred years before Columbus? There's some disagreement on this. The Vikings explored Vinland, which many now consider to have been Newfoundland off the coast of North America well before Columbus arrived. However, some experts feel the Vinland map is a forgery. Personally, I think there's more proof in favor of Vikings in North America, but as we've established, I'm not a historian. The Templars were well-versed in logistics, and they had the resources. If they also had access to Viking maps, as some suggest, it becomes plausible that Europeans, possibly Templars, arrived in Canada before Columbus. Okay, okay, wildly speculative. However, not everyone believes that the Templars stayed in Canada. Apparently, they moved south to what is today New York and Washington. Trinity Church on the corner of Broadway and Wall Street in New York City was built in the 1600s. And it isn't just the final resting place of Alexander Hamilton. Dig deep enough and you'll find Templar treasure. If you find yourself in Washington, D.C., visit the neighborhood of Roslyn, named after Roslyn Chapel. Now, for this theory to work, you need to accept the Freemasons as its roots in the Templar order. It doesn't, by the way. And you need to get excited about mysticism and the magical sacred geometry that Templar fans are so fond of. Oh my god, I can't get excited about mysticism. Like, I like history. I love history. I like learning about all the weird shit and all the things that might have been or could have been. But as soon as it's like mystic geometry and spells and shit, I'm like, well, now we're not talking history. We're talking fucking Harry Potter. So just leave it out. Starting at the White House, draw a line up 16th Street, Rock Creek Park, the 16th Street Meridian, apparently has some mystical and spiritual origins. In the 18th I barely can bring myself to keep reading this bit. The 16th Street Meridian apparently has some mystical and spiritual origins. In the 1860s, there were plans to move the presidential mansion to Rock Creek Park. This never happened, but it does mean the two locations chosen for the White House sit at either end of the magical 16th Street Meridian. Coincidence? Well, yes, probably. Now, if you draw a line from the White House straight west to the Roslyn Metro stop and another line from Rock Creek to the same Metro stop, you've got a right-angle triangle connecting the two potential spots for the presidential residence with the neighborhood of Roslyn Chapel, D.C., where the Templar treasure is hidden to this very day. Oh, please. Of course, it does beg the question, if this convoluted construction is supposed to point to the Templar treasure, why does the triangle connect to the Roslyn Metro Station and not the Roslyn Chapel? Oh, I don't know, because someone looked at a map and uh, made some shit up, maybe? There's no proof that the Templars had anything to do with the Oak Island money pits, and while the Freemason connection is quite clear in New York and especially Washington, they had nothing to do with the Templars. If the Templar treasure exists, I'm fairly sure it's not in North America. Roll Le Chateau in France. In 1885, a Catholic priest, Berenga Saunier, found himself assigned to Rennes-le-Chateau, a small town not far from Carcassonne. Upon arrival, Saunier took it upon himself to restore the town's church, basically in ruins, dedicated to Magdalene in 1059, sitting on a sacred site dating all the way back to the 6th century of Visigoths and their king Dagobert. And then things get interesting. Originally, Saunier was so poor that he had to rely on the generosity of the parishioners in the village to survive upon his arrival. However, he suddenly received large amounts of money to restore the church and add some extras, like the Tower of Magdalene. He also built himself a house. He spent a small fortune refurbishing the town and developed somewhat extravagant tastes for a priest. Rare china, antiques, and expensive artifacts. But where did the money come from? There are many possible sources for the treasure. Some believe the priest found buried Visigoth gold, he received payment from the Habsburgs for services rendered, or he discovered the secrets of alchemy. 
Yeah, it's that last one. He discovered the secrets of alchemy. However, we're interested in the Templars. According to legend, Saunier discovered a series of parchments under the altar stone inside a hollow pillar when he started his renovations. The documents contained two genealogies dating from 1244 and 1644, and a more recent document created by a former priest, Antoine Bigot, in 1781. The more recent record contained a series of complex ciphers and codes. Saunier took the documents to the bishop in Carsonone, who sent him on to Paris with his documents so the clerical scholars could take a crack at the ciphers. They managed to translate the codes to get to Dagobert, the second king, and to San belongs the treasure and he is their dead. I'm guessing that he refers to the king. A second cipher had an even stranger message. However, that'll just send us down the Priory of San Rabbit Hole, which is an entirely different mystery altogether. So let's get back to the priest. Did Saunier find information leading him to the treasure of the Cathars, believed to be the original guardians of the treasure from Solomon's Temple, or perhaps the treasure of the Templars themselves? Alternatively, did he come across a secret so great that the church paid him to keep it to himself? I don't know. <laughs> like, is it some, some giant, like, Jesus head style secret that had just, like, killed him? Saunier passed away in 1917, finally telling the secret of where his wealth came from to his housekeeper, Marie Dernaud. He left, he also left to the property, which she then sold to a local entrepreneur. She promised to reveal the secret on her deathbed, but she had a stroke, which left her paralyzed and unable to speak, so when she passed in 1953, the secret died with her. Oh, that's disappointing. That's really disappointing. She's like, yeah, I'll do it on my deathbed. It'd be like, what? <laughs> How many people actually... What is the percentage of people who have a deathbed? Whereas, like, an opportunity to tell their, like, last secrets. I feel like, don't most people die suddenly? Or at least... I mean, maybe you know when you're like, your death is coming. But just write that shit down in an envelope and give it to your lawyer. And be like, only to be distributed of all my death. And then the lawyer will do it. And you'll be fine. Why couldn't we have done that? Now we don't know. Of course, there are always people looking to spoil our fun with facts. And the truth is far less romantic. Saunier was probably a holy con man. Oh, no. At the time, asking for payment for saying mass wasn't uncommon. Saunier placed ads in newspapers offering his services to say a mass on receipt of the cash. He also he got a whole lot of money, but it's not clear if he ever kept his part of the bargain. Saunier then invented the story of finding treasure to explain his sudden wealth. Pretty clever con, to be honest. As for the entrepreneur who bought Saunier's house from Denord, he opened a restaurant and used the story of the treasure to put Rennes-le-Chateau on the map. Visitors came from all over France to look for treasure while eating at his restaurant and staying in his hotel. He found the real treasure, didn't he, that guy? There are some rumors that the treasure, or what remains of it, after all the spending, is still hidden in the church or somewhere in the countryside. Historians refute these claims and excavations have been carried out at the church, but nothing of value has been found. Of course, this is what the guardians of the Templar treasure would want you to believe. Sinai House Perched on the hilltop, overlooking the town of Burton-upon-Trent in England, is a moat. It's all that remains of the original house built by the de Scobinor family in the 13th century. The moat surrounds the new Sinai House, built around 1546 by Sir William Paget, a man who managed to survive Henry VIII, Edward VI, and Mary Tudor while serving all of them, so a smooth operator if there ever was one. According to anthropologist David Adkins, the house hides another secret, the lost treasure of the Templars. Adkins claims the link between Sinai House and the Templars is solid. William Paget was possibly a descendant of Hugh de Pions, the founder of the Order. If the story of the Templar treasure hidden on the grounds of Burton Abbey estate was passed down from one generation to the next, it would explain why Paget went to great lengths to secure the estate after the dissolution of the monasteries. However, de Pagens was a celibate monk with no children as far as we know. But let's not get caught up in facts. Burton Abbey was founded towards the end of the 7th century, possibly around 670 CE, but only took possession 
of Sinai House around the same time as the Templars left Jerusalem, so either side an interest after 700 years. According to Atkins, the answer to that is location, location, location. The house sits on a labyrinth of natural tunnels and caves easily as big as Westminster Abbey in the heart of England, making it somewhat safe for an invading army. Jesus, that is a lot of caves. The house wasn't of any political interest, and the abbey was known to be nonconformist with little allegiance to the Pope, which probably made the Templars feel safe. The house was flanked on three sides by the ancient Needwood Forest, dark and feared, and a steep descent to the River Trent on the fourth side. I'm puzzled by the significance of the forest. It wasn't exactly Fangorn Forest. It was essentially a hunting reserve where I'm sure many a hobbit frolicked quite happily, so let's just move on. You know what's interesting? Not even really sure what a hobbit is. <laughs> That's so much interest having this wizardy shit. The name of the house is another vital clue. Before 1307, the house was known as a lodge or the Great Lodge. However, not long after the Templar persecutions in France, the name changed to Saini House, and from there it became known as Sinai House, a good old testament name suggesting a link to the remote monastery of St. Catherine in the Sinai. Oh, is it supposed to be is that how you say Sinai? <laughs> Sinai Desert. Okay, I'm not gonna go back and correct myself. Apologies. In the 1800s, researchers discovered a bricked-up secret passageway beneath the house. However, when they tried to force entry, they were met with toxic fumes and the expedition into what lies beneath Sinai House ended before it began. To this day, the entrance in the cellar remains bricked up. Oh, bullshit it does. No one's been down there because they're like, oh, toxic fumes. Uh, if I bought the house, I'd knock that shit down so fast and just put on like a mask and go down there. Because obviously you would. Also, it'd be super cool to find like a secret passageway in your house. Like if you have some big old house or whatever, and you're like just in the basement, you discover like a. That would be amazing. <laughs> It's a great story, but how much of it is fact? The Scobinor family donated the house to the monks of Burton Abbey to score some heavenly points, which wasn't uncommon. The monks then turned the house into a convalescence retreat for patients recovering from excessive bloodletting, fairly standard medical practice at the time. By 1410, it was known as the Manor of Seine, and by 1442, it became a Synodum. Both names have their roots in the Latin sangui, meaning blood. No surprise there. The Templars also had no connection to the monastery of St. Catherine. The monastery was protected by the militant daughter of St. Catherine. Wait, they had no connection or was protected? What? There doesn't seem to be any evidence that Burton Abbey was particularly anti-establishment either. So why did Paget tear down the Abbey? Honestly, it's probably for boring reasons, isn't it? During the Protestant Reformation, it wasn't uncommon for nobles to buy abbeys and monasteries, remodel them, and let them out to generate income. Demolishing sections of the buildings provided valuable stone for rebuilding. Paget wasn't looking for anything, he was saving on construction costs. After some searching, I also couldn't find anything to support the story of a bricked-up cellar or caverns the size of Westminster Abbey. To the contrary, the geology of the area doesn't seem ideal for excessive tunneling, but I'm not a geologist. The monks taking over Sinai House just as the Templars were leaving Jerusalem seems like a coincidence to me. I also felt it highly unlikely that a medieval monastery suddenly in possession of the holy relics would keep that to themselves. A holy relic would bring pilgrims, and pilgrims bring donations, the real treasure. If the Templar treasure was on the Burton Abbey estate, I'm sure we'd know about it. Is the treasure even real? Uh, I mean, just this is the next section, but before we get into it, I'll be like, it's probably treasure at some point. Is there any more? No, I think, I don't think so. It's a really long time ago, and it's all been found and transferred to different places and all that kind of shit. 
Now that I have a whole new list of places to visit armed with a shovel, we probably need to answer the most pressing question. Was the Templar treasure ever real to begin with? The Templar order was wealthy. The majority of their wealth was in the form of land and debt. They were the moneylenders of medieval Europe. In the early days when pilgrims left their valuables with the order as they traveled to the Holy Land, the Templar treasuries probably contained considerable amounts of coin. However, after the loss of Jerusalem and finally Acre, pilgrims no longer had a reason to travel to Jerusalem, so it's unlikely that the order still had or needed to have a whole lot of coin on hand. The order also had to feed, clothe, and house every brother, as well as build, maintain, and provision churches and fortified castles across Europe all the way to Jerusalem during the Crusade. They had to equip and transport knights and supplies the Holy Land to fight and then back home when the fighting was done. This meant they either had to maintain a small fleet or they had to hire ships as they needed them. The cost of such an operation had to be astronomical. It's true that the order made a lot of money in the form of donations, but they spent a lot of money too. I think vaults with piles of gold Strooge McDuck style were unlikely. Templar treasure talemongers tell King that King Philip arrived at the treasury in Paris to find it empty. Considering how much money Philip owed the Templars, he was probably just happy they were gone, so he no longer needed to pay them. Whatever valuables there were, he just transferred to his own treasury, and when word came that all Templar holdings and wealth would be given to the hospitalers, he just failed to mention how much of it he carted off himself. Whatever assets or wealth were left in the provincial houses and in other kingdoms were no doubt seized by whoever happened to be there first. Yeah, exactly. It's just getting like slowly distributed out to different places over time and nicked by people and requisitioned by others. Just, it's what happens. Like, wealth over time just eventually disappears. The stories of Templars traveling to the New World, or Templars turning pirate to escape persecution, is built on the supposition that the Templars had a fleet capable of crossing the Atlantic. The Templars definitely had cargo ships, and according to some records, it appears they also had one or two warships. There are some theories that the Templars engaged in privateering when not transporting people and supplies. However, I couldn't find anything to back this up. The Templars may have had a few experienced sailors in their ranks, but it's far more likely that they simply hired ships and crew as and when they needed them. If there was a Templar fleet capable of crossing the Atlantic, no record of it remains. The end of the Templars in France was sudden and swift, but it certainly gave knights in other countries some warning to get the hell out of Dodge. I don't think the idea of a few knights filling up their saddlebags with whatever treasures they could get their hands on and galloping off into the night is impossible. That's most certainly what I would have done. Yeah, but they just took a little, and it wasn't very much, and then it got distributed out, and they probably bought some shit. So no, there's no te treasure left today. Conclusion. The Lost Templar treasure is a favorite among many unsolved mysteries out there, but why do some people believe so strongly that the treasure is real? A hunt for lost treasure awakens a yearning for adventure that's hard to satisfy with the daily grind of paying bills and deciding what type of pasta you have for dinner. But it's more than that. <laughs> it's true. It's like, oh, there's more exciting stuff out there than pasta. <laughs> or at least I hope there is. I wonder what pasta I will have for dinner tonight, though. <laughs> we humans like a show. The idea that an organization as powerful as the Knights Templar could have come to such a quick and somewhat anticlimactic end doesn't quite fit our desire for an end worthy of such a formidable force. Surely there must be a conspiracy afoot. Since the last days of the Templar Order, the Knights have been cast as everything from victims to villains. The narrative of the Templars working against the Church and being disbanded by the Pope is particularly popular because believers don't like the idea of their highest moral authority being under the thumb of a petty and jealous king. 
For tales of lost treasure and defiant knights disappearing into the midst of the Scottish Highlands or braving the Atlantic in search of refuge and safety for their valuable collection of holy relics only took off years after the dissolution of the order. If by some unlikely chance there was any treasure, I doubt it got across the channel to England in the chaos that was the end of the Templar order. Over the last 700 years, every single Templar castle has been sacked and plundered multiple times by anyone in the mood to sack and plunder some castles on their day off work. If such a treasure any ever existed, it would certainly have been found by now. Yes, fully agree. That's the story. It's not real. It's not there. It did maybe once exist. It paid, paid, paid lots of money. And it just gradually got spent and taken away. Easy. Mystery solved. Thanks for watching. If you enjoy this show, please do leave it a review. Um, or if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.